Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We continue our Bible study on the life of Peter, subtitled From Fisherman to Follower of Jesus. And the title of our lesson tonight is But God. But God. And you've heard that. In fact, John used that in his testimony tonight. I don't know if he saw that on the note sheet and just added that in or he just felt that way. But uh, what thoughts come to your mind when you hear the phrase, but God? Things are going bad. All right. Things can go really bad. No matter what's going on, I'm just trying to repeat what you said for the recording. <laughs> yeah, things will be going really bad, but God, we know he's got our back. He's working in the midst of. Yeah. What other thoughts come to mind when you hear that phrase, but God, Amanda? That we could have been dead? Yeah, you know, we could just put a blank in there. We could have been blank, but God, right? Yeah, Vita. Yeah, that's great. This, whatever this is, fill in the blank again, is bigger than me, but God is able. That's right. Yeah. Joan. What? Only he can do the impossible. That's right. That's right. Well, we see this idea in our passage tonight. The passage tonight is, is Peter, and he's going to preach another message. You know, we've been studying Peter's life, and we've gotten to the point where now we're past the cross, Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, a couple lessons ago, we talked about the fact that um, after Jesus ascended into heaven, ten days later, he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit filled all the believers, not just the disciples, but all of the believers. And on that day, Peter had the opportunity to preach. And uh, we talked about his message. That was a couple lessons ago. Um, and many people got saved. Um, and then we didn't study this passage because it doesn't mention Peter specifically, but it talks about how the church grew and what the normal church life looked like. And then um, last lesson, we started the chapter, uh, started chapter three with this story of Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. And they are passing this guy who's been lame since birth, 40 years old. 40 years he's not been able to walk, and he's begging, um, people, asking people for, for alms. That's how he supports himself. And uh, Peter and John are moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, listen, look at me, you know, because beggars would not look at people. That was just the posture you just kind of hoped and prayed that they would give. And he said, look at me. And I looked up expecting something, and he said, I don't have any money. But what I have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this guy who had never walked in his life, not only got up and walked, but he began to jump up and down, praising God, this tremendous miracle. And we studied that last week. Okay. Well, this great crowd gathers. We're going to read that in just a moment. And Peter gets a chance to preach. And uh, his whole intent is to use this opportunity to point people to Jesus. Okay, but in the midst of this, he talks about this idea of but God, all right? And it talks about how God has a way of turning things around. We're going to read our text in a minute, but right in the middle of it in verse 15, in the English Standard Version, uh, it says this. Peter's talking about what happened to Jesus, and he says, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Okay, you killed him, 
But God raised him. And this translation says, you killed whom God raised. Same idea, but the NIV, the NLT translations actually say that. You put him to death, but God raised him up. And so the idea is that God has a way of turning things around. From things as small as little details of our life, circumstances, our whole life. I mean, we all could probably give a testimony of how God has turned at some point in the middle along the way our whole life around. But not just that, but the whole course of the world. Okay? And the thing that's really cool is that nothing can keep God from doing that. All right? So we're going to see all this in our text, how God... Um, used events of this world that were going one direction and he totally changed it to accomplish his plan. But how he does the same thing in the direction of our lives and in the circumstances of our lives. Okay, So in this passage, Peter has again an opportunity to preach. There's a lot of different directions we could have gone with this passage tonight. He's pointing to people... Uh, pointing people to Jesus again. He calls them to repentance. We'll talk about it on the way through. But I wanted to really focus on this idea of but God. You know, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever we're doing, God, as Sonny says, has, he's got our back. Yes. Okay. So, this lame man is healed. All right. I just recounted that to you. You know, Peter says, I don't have any money, but get up and walk. And he did. Why did God heal the lame man? And I'm not looking for an answer that's in Scripture because it doesn't say, well, God healed him because. Why do you think God healed this lame man? Katie, because what? Because it was his will. He wanted to. Okay, so why did he want to? Lynn? He wanted to get the attention of the lame man. You said there, so I'm assuming you're talking about everybody else around. Yeah. He wanted to get everybody's attention so that Peter would have the opportunity to share the gospel. So did God just use this lame man? To get everybody's attention? Okay, he's also using it in Peter's life. You know, Peter is emerging even more as a leader. um, And not just because he wants to be the leader, but because God wants to use him. And so showing him that he can be used. All right. All right. Uh, The reason I asked you the question, did God just use this lame man, is kind of like a a means to an end. I think that the other aspect of it is because God really cared about the lame man. Right? I think we'd all agree with that, but, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, God cares about us and everything we go through, but he also wants to use what he does in us and through us and to us as an example to other people of his love and to reach other people. And so we've got to keep that in mind, you know, whenever we're praying and asking God to do something in our lives and all that kind of stuff, knowing that he loves us, he wants what's best for us, he doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to or when we want him to or how we want him to, but whatever he does choose to do, he does want what's best for us. But in the process, he also wants to use it to reach other people. And we're definitely going to see that um, in this story. So I think we've got both the concern for the man, but also concern for all the people that are around that need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 9 to 26. And we're going to read it one section at a time. Okay? But the first point I have here on your note sheet, God has a plan... And he wants our attention. Now, I could have put God had a plan and he wanted the people's attention, but I wanted to bring it up to date. I wanted to bring it to us. He wants our attention. All right? So let's look at the story here in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 9, going through verse 13. We pick it up at the tail end of when the man is healed. 
He's healed, he's leaping, standing, walking, goes into the temple, praising God. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, the people that live there, okay, and at this point, you know, we talked about people gathering for Pentecost, Passover, these great, this isn't during a feast. So all the people that are there today, they're the people that live pretty much in Jerusalem, unless there's families there, you know, going to Jerusalem at a time other than a festival. And they've seen this man, you know, for the last 40 years, however long they've been around. When they go to the temple, he's been there at the gate and they know of his condition and something has changed. Verse 11. While he, talking about the lame, the man who used to be lame, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. The temple was not just a building like a church. We would think of a church where people went to worship God. In fact, the temple proper, the people couldn't even go into it. And even the high priest couldn't go into the holiest place except once a year. And then other priests could go into the holy place, you know, the place before that. Um, and, you know... Basically, the temple was built in such a way that the, the temple itself was in the center with the holiest place. And as you work your way out, more and more people could, could go into that. You know, just the high priest in the holiest place, the other priest in the part before that. Then it was just the Jewish men and then the Jewish women. And then they had a court for Gentiles, people that weren't even Jewish. They could come to a certain point to worship God. And so it's a big, giant complex, all right? But there's a portico there. It's humongous, like a porch-like area. It was shaded with pillars and stuff. That's where all the teachers would be during the daytime. They could have their little groups of students, and there was enough room for bunches of teachers and little groups of students. And that's where people would gather, you know, to talk about God's, God's word, God's law. And that's where they're at. They're in the temple complex where people have come to worship God or to learn about um, God's word. And so all these people gather together in this portico called Solomon's, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And he goes on to say, it's because of Jesus this man was healed. All right? So the first thing on your note sheet under this point is, letter A, people responded to the healing with amazement. With amazement. It says they saw him and they recognized him and they were filled with wonder and amazement. They were utterly astounded and they ran together to them. So God got their attention. Right? He got their attention. So what was God's plan? Why did he want to get their attention? Vita. Mm-hmm. Okay. So God wanted to get their attention so that there'd be an opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And that the words that Peter would speak was confirmed ahead of time by power. You know, sometimes you have the preaching and then some miraculous thing that happens afterwards that confirms the sign. You know, Jesus said the gospel we preach with signs following and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes God did a miraculous thing to get his attention, say, this is something real, this is something big, this is, this is, this is um, 
a big deal. So God got their attention. His plan was that they hear the gospel. Now, as we think about today, how does God get people's attention today? It's true that today, sometimes still God does the miraculous, right? And we'd certainly like him to do it a whole lot more often. And we should pray for the miraculous, for healings and all that kind of stuff. But there's other ways that God can get people's attention, can't he? How else does God get people's attention today? He wants them to hear the gospel. He wants them to respond to him drawing them to us. How else does God get people's attention today? By disasters? By disasters, yeah. Sometimes, you know, the, the things that happen in our world, whether it's natural disasters or a man-made disasters, that's why so often we pray when there's a hurricane, when there's tornadoes, to tsunamis, you know, whatever. God, you know, help the people that are in need, but in the midst of it, may they come to know Jesus because, you know, believers helping out. Or even in the midst of man-made disasters, like we just prayed recently with the school shootings and all the other shootings that's cropping up now. God, help the people that are going through there, but may it turn people to you, you know. We prayed that way all the way through COVID, you know. All the unusual things, you know, and, and it's interesting. I was talking to somebody, um, a friend of mine, uh, not part of our church, um, and he said, you know, it's really sad because if you look at the history of our nation, and even just in the last 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, 9-11, when there's been a big disaster, natural disaster, or 9-11, something like that, and you see where everybody's like, we got to pray. we got to, even non-religious people start acting religious, especially the politicians, you know, and there may be any number of motivations on why that is, but they're all like, we need to pray. He says, but I didn't see that during COVID. Not that nobody did that, but there was no united call like, we've got to pray. And that's sad. I think it's just a sign that our nation is becoming more and more calloused yes. to God and unresponsive to his call. Yeah, Lynn. That's right. We, we need to be. That's a very good point, Lynn. And it's been a good, very good point to actually put on the note sheet. But you can write it yourself that, you know, well, it's in there in a little bit. We'll get to it in just a moment. Well, let me just go ahead and give it to you because it's the next thing I heard. God wants to use us to get people's attention. Okay. God wants to use us to get people's attention. So when something happens, okay, natural disaster or a disaster in somebody's life as believers, you know, we should care about them and pray for them because we love them. We care about them. All. But also say, God, how can you use this? How can you use me in this situation to touch them for Jesus? Okay? Whether it's a big national thing, you know, like COVID or 9-11 or whatever. Or if it's just a personal thing, like Katie gave testimony, has given testimony. Her and Nick, their neighbors are going through tough stuff, both of them. And they're trying to use it as an opportunity to reach out to them, to love for them, to love on them, to pray for them, to help them, and to share Jesus with them. You know? And so God wants to use us to get people's attention. Norris. That's another great example. The death of a loved one. You know, uh, can draw people to Christ, especially if they knew Christ. But even if they didn't, depending on how the people handle it that are associated with it, but especially if they knew Christ, their testimony and the things that are said. Because when death hits close to home for us, it wakes us up. It's like, this is going to happen to me someday. You know, and especially for people that aren't living for the Lord, if they've had the testimony and they already know something of the gospel, that's what we pray for, isn't it? That it'll just maybe shake them up a little bit and get them pointed that direction. Um, but not only crises and stuff, there is a, there's a very real sense in which as we live for Jesus, what he's done in us and through us and how we've changed should get people's attention. Maybe it won't be in the same level as a miracle, 
But as somebody who's known us, especially if they've known us over a long time, says, man, they are really different. You know, um, in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So our lifestyle and our words, and they need to match, right? We've talked about that many times. You don't just need to be saying the truth and your life doesn't live up to it because who's going to listen to you, you know? Um, and you can't just live the truth and never speak up because you may just be another good person. They've got to have both. Yes. That's right. Yeah, I mean, we, we always should be willing to grow and learn Scripture and all that kind of stuff. But even when we're first saved, we've got our testimony, you know. I think of the blind guy that Jesus healed, and they're questioning him. He says, well, I don't know exactly who Jesus is, but I know that I used to be blind, and now I can see, you know. So, yeah, yeah. So the people responded to the healing with amazement. Let her be on your note. She, people, uh, Peter responded to the people by exalting Jesus, okay. Now think about Peter and where he's been, where he's come from. Peter has changed a lot in the last couple of months. Not just Peter, but all the disciples, when they traveled with Jesus, there were many times that they used to argue with each other about one particular thing. And Jesus even rebuked them a couple of times. What was it they were always arguing about? Position. Position, who's most important, all that kind of stuff. And Peter's in the midst of all that. But when this happens, who does Peter point to? Jesus. Jesus. In fact, he turns the attention off of himself. He says, you're looking at us like we did it. It had been a perfect opportunity for him to be kind of, yep, you know, Jesus is using us. You know, and he could have made it sound spiritual. It's Jesus, but he's using us. But it was almost like, don't look at us. Don't look at us. Don't look at us. You know, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's a big um, switch, but the other thing is, it's not been but three, four, four and a half months when Peter is around the fire and say, "You're with Jesus." No, I don't know him. He died in three times. Now he's standing in the temple with thousands. There, there is room in this place for up to ten thousand people. Okay, because they've got measurements of how big the temple was. I mean, we don't know how many people actually gathered there. Okay, but there could have been ten thousand people. There's enough room in this area of the temple courtyards for that many people. From this humongous crowd. I mean, we're going to see the result before we get done tonight. And then next lesson when we jump into it. That, uh, it says that the number of believers became 5,000. We don't know if it's 5,000 got saved that day or it was added to the 3,000 to make 5,000. But there's thousands of people here. And he's standing up talking to Jesus. Talking about Jesus. And as we're going to see in a minute, it's not just he's talking about Jesus. He's like, you guys killed him. <laughs> that took a lot of boldness. So Peter has been changed. He's no longer ashamed of Jesus. He's putting the focus on Jesus rather than himself. It made me think of John the Baptist. That's why I put John 3.30 on your note sheet. You know, when people were talking about John the Baptist and his disciples were like, John, you're so important to God's plan and purpose. I'm paraphrasing here. And this Jesus is becoming more important. And John says, you know what? He needs to increase. I need to decrease. Amen. Yes. And you know, that's the attitude we need to have too. Yes. And it always makes me a little leery when I... Uh, and I don't have anybody particular in mind, so don't think I'm trying to hint around or anything. But, um, you know, when I hear a preacher, teacher, evangelist, or whatever, it seems to be more about what they're doing and what God's done through them and all that kind of stuff rather than pointing people to Jesus. You know, as we've been talking about these services that we're going to have in March about, you know, wanting to have these services and invite people from the community to come. And, and it's just going to be about the gospel. You know, we want people to hear the gospel. It's not going to be about the people themselves who are preaching. 
you know, and we're going to have a variety of preachers, and we're working on who we're going to have come preach and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that we've talked about is it needs to be people that are going to point people to Jesus. It's not going to be about them. It's going to be about Jesus. And it's not going to be about money and offerings. It's going to be about Jesus. You know, and, and that's what we need to do. We need to point people to Jesus. And so Peter pointed people to Jesus and their need to accept them. But notice what he did. He's doing very similar to what he did on the day of Pentecost with his sermon there. If you were here for that um, message, he started where the people were. On the day of Pentecost... They saw all the signs and wonders, and the Holy Spirit came. People were speaking in other tongues. What is this all about? Oh, the people are drunk. That's exactly where Peter started. No, they're not drunk. This is, and he starts explaining from Scripture. He's doing the same thing. God did this miraculous work in this lame man, and he says, okay, well, listen, this guy, it wasn't us. It was God, and now he goes into Scripture, okay? He goes into this talking about what the Bible had to say about that. Now, the same thing should be true for us, that when we have the opportunity, we're talking with people. We can talk about anything we want or whatever, but we need to get around to pointing them to Jesus. On your note sheet also I have Acts 1.8, which many of you would recognize. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Amen. Okay, what is a witness? It's somebody who tells about something they've experienced, seen, heard, or whatever. If you've experienced Jesus, you're a witness if you tell about what you've seen and you've heard. Okay? The second point here we don't like to talk about. God has a plan with our attention, but the second point is we resist God. I don't know if that offends you a little bit. It was tempting to put people resist God. I don't want to put I resist God. I'm so glad that now that we know Jesus, we never resist God anymore, do we? We still do sometimes, don't we? In our flesh. That's why I left it the way I have it. We resist God. Now, we're going to see that in his message here. And, I mean, Peter just doesn't hold back. Go back to verse 13. We did read a little bit of that. Peter's talking, he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He says, you know, even Pilate didn't want to kill him, but you basically forced him to. He goes on, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted. He says, not only did you do this, but you let somebody who was tremendously guilty go free. And ask for him to go free. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And so he points out the bad news. You know, we talk about the good news. People need to hear the good news. But, you know, the good news isn't really, really good news until you know the bad news. You know, um, I've used this illustration before. It's like if somebody discovered a cure for pancreatic cancer that'd be tremendously good news but who would be extra good news for the people who have pancreatic cancer they already had the bad news right and so people need to know the bad news but we don't need to beat them over their head with it um but lovingly tactfully you know people need to know about the sin problem right i mean he says these he talked to people he said, you delivered him over you denied him he said that twice you denied him you denied him you asked for a murderer you killed the author of life um, one person put it this way, they gave death to the one who gave them life. Yes. You know, the author of life is basically saying Jesus was involved in creation. He's the one that causes us to have life and not just spiritual life and eternal life, but physical life, you know, and they put him to death. Now, he's talking actually to the people, many of whom were probably involved in that process. Uh, if they weren't personally, if they weren't in Jerusalem at the time, they were because of their leadership. They were that was their t- that, at that that time. Okay, 
So, um, but the thing is, is that, as I jokingly said, well, thank God we don't ever resist God anymore. It's a root problem we all have to deal with. Even as believers, even if we've been believers for a long time, there is that tendency of our flesh to want to resist God. And we need to be aware of that. Um, Romans 3.23, basic scripture, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We can also still be drawn to that. So we resist God. The next thing on your note sheet there, number three, uh, the next point on your note sheet, God's plans are accomplished in spite of our resistance. And this is the good news. Okay, So after saying, you killed the author of life, verse 15, whom God raised from the dead, to this we're witnesses, he says, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of his, all his prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So even the worst that the devil could do through God's own people could not stop God's plans from being fulfilled. You got a comment, Lynn? Yeah. Anytime we choose to not do what God's asked us to do, whether it's a specific command, principle, or whatever in his word, or something he's spoken to our heart, we're resisting God. You know, and Paul talks a lot about that. We could do a whole study on that, about resisting the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff. And it actually leads into this point, and I, and I wanted to make this clear. It says God's plans are accomplished in spite of our resistance. Now, we're talking about his plan for salvation, okay? All the horrible things that the enemy did through the Jewish leaders and the people supported the Jewish leaders at this time, putting Jesus to a horrific death did not cause God's plan to be sidetracked. In fact, God used it. Okay. Now, But I also want to say that this statement I make here is true. God's plans are accomplished in spite of our resistance. But we also have to keep in mind that on a very personal level, okay, God can still accomplish his plans in and through our lives, but we can... What's the, what, how do I want to phrase this? Um, we can... Through our resistance that we just talked about, not experience all the good things, all the best that God wants us to have. Okay? Because there's always consequences to sin and to resisting God. You know, God may want to do this for us. He's got this great plan for us. And we miss out on part of it because of our resistance. But his ultimate plans can never be overcome by anybody's sin, by anybody's opposition, by the enemy, by ours. Okay? But um, some of his plans in our lives, we can we can thwart some of the good stuff that God has for us. Vita, did you want to make a comment? Hmm? Oh, it's okay. All right. Huh? Yeah, Jonah's a great example. <laughs> Jonah still got the message to the Ninevites. He didn't want to go, and he <laughs> and he says, "Y'all dead." Basically, <laughs> God used it anyway, but he wasn't happy about it. And uh, so, anyway. So they put him to death, but it says God raised him from the dead. I got this on your note sheet, and this is one of the principles we talk about a lot because it's a promise we like to cling to. God turns bad into good. Weakness into strength, infirmity into health. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it's through faith. This is by faith in the name of Jesus. 
By faith in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It means faith in Jesus, not just you use his name as some kind of magic formula. You know, I mean, the same thing is true in our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. It's like, well, if I tack that on the end, God has to do what I want him to do. No, it's just saying, I'm praying in the name of Jesus by his authority, which means I believe that this is what Jesus would want, you know, and he's given me authority to come to my Father in his name because of what he's done for me, you know, and... Um, and asking for what I need, and that includes salvation by faith in Jesus, who he is, what he's done. In this case, in the fact that he's the healer. And so in faith in his name brought about the healing. But it's interesting that by faith in his name, who had the faith? Going back to the story of the lame man that was healed, who had the faith? The lame man? The lame man was just asking for alms. And Peter says, I don't have any money. Peter had some faith. Definitely Peter had some faith or he wouldn't have spoke up, right? And did the layman have faith? Well, at the very beginning, he wasn't even looking for healing. But it could be that Peter's words stirred faith within him. So it could be a combination of Peter's faith, John's faith, and the layman's faith. You know, we see this acting in Scripture in a number of different ways, even in Jesus' ministry. Sometimes it's the person themselves' faith. Sometimes it's a partial faith. Remember the guy that brought his son to be healed? And she said, well, if you believe, if you have faith, he said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> you know, we can relate, right? Well, Lord, I believe, but I don't know if it's enough or not. You know, would you do it anyway? And I'm so glad that God takes that into account, you know? And so, but there were times that there were people that asked for healing for somebody else, the Roman centurion. And, God, and Jesus healed his servant, even though the servant didn't ask for it, you know? And so... That gives us hope, too, to pray for other people. We don't know if they believe in Jesus or not, but we're going to pray for them and ask that God would respond to our faith in the best way for that particular time. Yeah. Peter? That's right. His faith in Jesus was what he did have. Yeah. Yeah. What we don't know for sure is how much faith the lame man had. And, you know, but, yes. And that's the other thing, too, is that as Peter spoke and that kind of stuff, this Faith could be stirred in him. You know, sometimes when we pray for other people, they may be going through a really tough time, and it's hard for them to believe, but when we express, hey, listen, God's in control. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to believe he's going to work, that that can stir that person's faith. You know, that's another way we can minister to people, not just in the, in the, um, in the action of praying for them, but expressing our faith in the Lord can help stir their faith too. John. You know, I'm reminded of a situation. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. So we're talking about God accomplishing his plan. And you note she letter B, what was God's ultimate plan? Well, he wanted to heal the man, but his ultimate plan is salvation, right? God provides salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what he's communicating here. Now, we haven't gotten to the whole, we haven't gotten to the end of the message yet where he's talking about what they need to do. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he's talking about if they'll turn to Jesus, all right? They killed him, but God raised him, didn't, didn't, um, Thwart God's plan, but God worked in and through that. Now, here's an interesting question. If it was God's plan all along that Jesus had to die for their sins and our sins too, and Peter says they acted in ignorance, he says that in verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. I mean, the rulers are the ones that were aggressive. Then why were they guilty? Exactly. Even though 
they didn't fully understand what they were doing. They did understand enough that they were still doing the wrong thing. And they're still saying, you see, even though they said, well, you're acting kind of in ignorance and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't mean that they were not guilty. They didn't understand the full, the full implications of what they were doing, but they were still resisting God. Okay. And, and you know, they, you know, even in, in our own society, just because you don't know the law doesn't mean you're not supposed to keep it. And if you break the law, even if you don't know it, you're still going to pay the price. Right. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Lynn? That's right. You know, Paul said something very similar that what he did was out of ignorance, too. He had a zeal for God, but he was still guilty of sin. But see, here's another reason why it's so important that we lovingly share the whole truth. You know what I'm saying? Because there are probably plenty of people out in the world that they may, not, they may know that, well, I'm not really the best of people, but I'm not that bad. And it's not like we want to convince them they're terrible, horrible people, but that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. You know, until we really have that conviction that we are a sinner, we won't feel that we really need a Savior. It might be a nice thing to have, but it really doesn't matter because I'm not really that bad of a person. I mean, I've shared many times that when I committed my life to Christ as a 10-year-old, I hadn't done all these horrible things, but I had this overwhelming conviction that I was a sinner that needed a Savior. Okay? You know, so anyway, as we go on, um, number four, we have a choice. What will we do with it? So he gives them a choice. Going down to verse 19, he says, after telling all this stuff, He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, or the Messiah, appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall... Listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Before we go on, just, just note what he says. He said, God wants to bless you. But he can only do that if you turn from your wickedness. That's why he sent Jesus. So he gives them a choice. You know, He says, you guys were actively involved in putting Jesus to death. You didn't fully understand what you did, but they're still getting involved. But God wants to save you. And he did it through what you did. But you've got to repent. So the response he calls them to is, we're called to Repent. Repent. What does repentance mean? It means to turn from sin to God. It means to change direction. Um, literally, it means to change your mind, your heart, and your attitude. And if it's real, it's going to change your actions. Okay? And repentance is so important. It's not just faith and belief. It's like two sides of the same coin. You've got to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Okay? And the point that I think is so cool here is that it's never too late. That's on your note sheet. It's never too late. These are the people that were actively involved in actually putting Jesus to death. And he says, there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. Now, there's a neat little mini-sermon in here. It'd be great to spend the whole time on this, but we can't. The results of repentance. I love this. He said, um, uh, when we repent, your sins are blotted out. So our sins are forgiven. I think we get so used to hearing that and understanding it 
that it loses its thing. The fact that we are sinners and separated from God and God forgives us. Our sins are forgiven. He's blotted out, wiped out, obliterated. This kind of comes from the picture that they'd be familiar with of somebody writing something on a piece of parchment. And uh, what they would use and the kind of ink they would use, you know, after you'd written it, you had a little bit of time that if you just wiped it with a white, wet cloth, it would just wipe it totally clean. And that's the word that would be used. You know, all these things that were written down against us were just wiped off as if they'd never been. You know, repentance, our sins are forgiven. The second thing is our lives are refreshed. Is if you repent, then times of refreshing may come. What are those times of refreshing? It's just talking about, you know, we still live in a sinful, fallen world. We're still going to experience difficulties and stuff. But God's going to bless us in this life. You know, in the context of Acts, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and his presence and his power in our life. And those times of blessing and refreshing that God brings to us in the midst of the difficulty. I'm so glad that God brings those times of refreshing. Okay? Spiritual blessings, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing is our future will be perfect. Okay? He says, until, we got these times of refreshing, life can be difficult from times, but God's working in there, until the restoration of all things, the things that have been prophesied all through the Old Testament, that one day God's going to make everything right. And we look forward to that. Our future will be perfect. Looking to that future second coming of Christ and the millennium and the new earth. Okay. Now, for the Jewish people, Peter's preaching to the Jewish people. So to add more weight to what he's telling them, he refers to their own culture and their own background in Scripture by saying, this is what Moses was talking about all along. Moses is their founding father, you could say, okay? And he says, you know, and when Moses said, you know, I'm going to be gone one day, but eventually God's going to raise up a prophet like me, and you need to listen to him. Do what he says. If you don't, you'll be destroyed. And there were many people that came along after Moses that spoke for God, but ultimately it's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the one that Moses was talking about. And not only Moses, but all the other prophets, starting with Samuel through all the other ones. You know, and they're all talking about Jesus. And then he goes all the way back to their true founding father, which was Abraham. He says, when God spoke to Abraham at the very, very beginning and founded our nation and our people, he says, through your seed, through your, your descendant, everybody will be blessed. And he's talking about Jesus. So he uses all the heroes of their faith, all the people that are talking about in their scriptures to say, all the scriptures, all of God's heroes, all of God's leaders all the way through have been, the, have been talking about this Jesus. And he's the one who's fulfilled all this. And that was important for them. Okay. Now, it wouldn't be as important if we're out there talking to somebody who knows absolutely nothing about the Bible about, well, yeah, Moses said this and Abraham. It's like, oh, who are they? You know, we've got to relate to people where they're at and their understanding of Scripture. But this was very key in this message for the people that he was talking to. Now, one last thing before we wrap this all up. It says uh, at the end of what he said, um, verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. He said, God sent Jesus to you first. You know, even Jesus, when he was in ministry, he told his disciples to go out. He says, first preach to the Jews. And sometimes it raises the question, why did he do that? It's because God had been preparing them all along. They're the ones that already had a relationship with God. They're the ones that knew the true God or knew of the true God. They're the ones that had the words of God. They're the ones that had had God speaking to them for centuries. So they had been primed. They've been prepared so they were the ones that God sent Jesus to, and he was from 
so that they could receive it, and that would be the foundation from which then the message could go to the whole world. Okay, and so that's what that's all about. So we're running out of time, so let me just finish up. Um, so we get to the end of the sermon here, but that's not really the end, but it is because on your note sheet under conclusions, the sermon was cut short, but it still had good results. And words, if we look into chapter 4, we're just going to read four verses and we'll wrap this up. What happened as he got to that? It says, and as they were speaking to the people, the implication being they're speaking, they're not quite done yet. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So the sermon was cut short, but it still had good results. And this should give us encouragement. There are some times that we may make, make an effort to witness to somebody to share, and we may feel inadequate, like that didn't go exactly like I wanted, but God can still use it, okay? But there's also a warning here. We can do our best to do what God wants us to do, and it can cause us problems. The question is, will we still do what we're supposed to do? And that's going to be the next lesson in a couple of weeks when we see them standing before the religious leaders who are threatening them because they're doing the right thing, Okay? So what can we learn from this? God will use us to draw people to himself. He wants to get their attention through you, through your life, your words, your testimony, so they can come to know him. The other thing that's a little bit different, a different aspect of it, we want to be careful that we don't resist God's working in our lives and God's plan for us. And a great promise that we see here is God can turn anything around, whatever you're facing, but God, right? And then we can also be very thankful to God for the results of repentance. If we know him, we have salvation, forgiveness of sins, times of refreshing, and our future looks really good. <laughs> Sometimes like, Lord, I can't wait to get there, right? But our future looks good. We better close in prayer. Father, thank you for the time that we've had to look at your word tonight, for the encouragement that it is, Lord God, for all the blessings you've poured into our lives as we responded to the gospel message ourselves. But Lord, may it challenge us and encourage us to really reach out to other people. And take the gospel message to them. And Lord, use us. Use us to get their attention and to demonstrate the gospel and its effect. And Lord, even though sometimes we feel inadequate, we're not sure what to say and what to do and all that kind of stuff, use us anyway. And may people come to know Jesus. Lord God, may we always point people to Jesus. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.